Chairman Diaz. Yes. Passes unanimously. Yes to the mayor's peace and prosperity plan. What's in it? We need to stop the bleeding and then we need to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Taking the lead on gun violence, Mayor Daniela Levine Cava steps up and joins us live. We're tackling gun violence at the root. We're gonna save our children together as one. School may be out for the summer, but there is new controversy in the classroom. There is no room uh, in our classrooms for things like critical race theory. Teachers banned from telling students America has a history of systemic racism. Politicizing the honest history of our cultural groups is a distraction that the governor continues to use. It's much more um, about trying to craft narratives about history that are not grounded in fact. Facts are our friends, and we've got them all on This Week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney, Glenna is off today. We are going to begin today with that tsunami of gun violence that is wrecking South Florida and the first comprehensive plan put forward to stop the violence or at least reduce it. Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine Cava this week unveiled her peace and prosperity plan. It allocates a lot of money for police to identify and arrest these gunslingers causing the carnage with drive-by shootings. At the same time, the plan offers young people, especially those living in high-crime neighborhoods, offers them an alternative, a job this summer, and a roadmap on how to lead a peaceful and productive life. Despite misgivings from some county commissioners, the mayor's plan was approved unanimously and there is $8 million available to pay for it. Joining us now live to talk about the plan, how it's going to be implemented, is Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine Cava. Mayor Cava, great to see you. How are you? Very well. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me. All right. I know you've already had a busy morning. You were out on a bike ride with other elected <laughs> leaders uh, trying to persuade people to, uh, who are hesitant to get a vaccine shot. We'll get to that in a moment, but let's begin with peace and prosperity. It's certainly got long-term goals, short-term goals. The big short-term goal is to stop these horrific shootings. How are you doing on that? Michael, we have not had a major shooting that we've heard of uh, Friday or Saturday night. So we are feeling really fortunate. This is a combined enforcement and prevention effort. Operation Summer Heat is going so well with our Miami-Dade County police in the lead and our cities uh, with support from state and federal. We have arrested 350 felons over the last couple of weeks and taken over 165 handguns off the street, not just handguns, firearms off the street. Yeah. So our community is much safer. These bad guys, the shooters, they've heard. And uh, you know what? <laughs> Let's keep it up. It's a 12-week program, Operation Summer Heat. Uh, we are uh, spending overtime to get it done. And we've also added some technology support to our police department. And the Peace and Prosperity Plan also has a, a dedicated state attorney that's being assigned, uh, additional cameras in high crime areas at, the, at certain uh, commercial establishments. Uh, as well as additional analysts right. to look it, at it, social media. Uh, it is a complex plan. Uh, you really slammed it together, you and your staff, uh, very yes. quickly. Good going on that. You know, I would put out, point out that as well as Operation Summer Heat is going, that is a fantastic number of guns to get off the street and felons, 
uh, no arrests have been made in those drive-by shootings, the one in northwest Miami-Dade, the one down south. Uh, I know that Director Freddy Ramirez and his police department are working nonstop, but no arrests. Have you talked with them about that, asked him why? So, Michael, there was an arrest of the shooter on the turnpike, and police have said that is linked to the hookah lounge shooting. So I'm sure we'll be getting more information about that. I also know they've received many, many leads. 305-471-TIPS, our crime uh, uh, stoppers line. Uh, we are getting a lot of tips. There are rewards out there. And I know that they are moving forward and have some good leads. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Levine Cava, your plan combines both hard money for the Miami-Dade Police Department to do its work to identify these shooters uh, and things like uh, $340,000 to further monitor social media where these insults have led to these uh, drive-by shootings, $400,000 for neighborhood surveillance, 200 new license plate readers plus 50 mobile ones. What's so important about these license plate readers? Why are they needed? Yeah, so this is how, uh, in, coupled with the shot spotter, so whenever there's a shot in a certain area where there's a, a propensity for violence, coupled with this, then they can get the license plate of the cars in the vicinity. They can identify if it's a stolen vehicle or if it's registered to someone who's already known to law enforcement, and then they can use that as critical evidence yeah. to solve those crimes. Yeah. Mayor Levine Cava, the bulk of the money here in this plan, $6.9 million, is going to youth programs, and this is so critical to your plan, you're going to put them, a lot of these kids, put them to work. I know you quoted Commissioner Keon Hardiman in your news conference, which I watched the other day. He said, pay the kids. How does this work? So young people have a choice to make. And if they feel no hope, if they don't see a future for themselves, then unfortunately they're going to be that much more susceptible to going down the wrong path. So we've identified about 300 uh, who have already been known to our juvenile justice system, to our police, and they are being recruited for jobs, counseling, training, uh, life skills. Uh, this is going to turn their lives around, and it's going to pay them a living wage, real money that they can take home to their families to help with basic family needs. Yeah. So are, are, it's, are, it's are, a proven yeah. uh, strategy. It's a program that's been uh, studied and, and evidence-based to reduce crime in the neighborhoods. And now we're going after those that are most at risk, most in need. Yeah. Uh, Mayor, I'm kind of interested, I think most people are, what kind of jobs are we talking about? Are we talking about real jobs where you go to work at 8, you go home at 5? Uh, I mean, yes. you are going to pay these kids about $13 an hour. It's a, it's a true wage, more than some of their parents make in their own jobs. What are these yeah. kids going to be doing? Who are they working for? The county, private sector, who? Correct. So we have employers who are stepping up in hospitality and construction in um, the county itself. We are providing many of those jobs in county government. Uh, so we've been recruiting through our different departments. And uh, these could be real beginning of careers and pathways for these young people. Yeah. And actually, we had some young people testify to that effect. 
they had been in the Fit to Lead program and now they're employed. One is a, as a, a park manager. So these are real opportunities. Well, I know that the Miami-Dade Parks Department Fit to Lead program has been going for several years, sort of in my view, underfunded in the last several years. Now you're pouring money into it. Talk a little about Fit to Lead. I saw that story about the 22-year-old parks manager who sort of found a life and found purpose in Fit to Lead as a now a, a leader in the program at a park. Young people need to feel that they are valued, that they have a purpose, just like all of us. And if you've grown up in an, in an environment where people have said you can't succeed, uh, that you don't have a future, you're going to tend to believe it. So we are creating that change in culture, in expectations, in skills, confidence. Uh, that's exactly what will happen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know we're very, very hopeful that yeah. this will be the turnaround. Yeah. Uh, well, fit to Lead has been run by our Parks Department. Yeah. I was the beneficiary. I had some Fit to Lead participants in my office as commissioner, and I saw how effective the program is. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to sound uh, too skeptical, but I've got to say that a 16, 17 year old kid who's already been in the criminal justice system in the early stages, you know, whose mother uh, in a single family home, let's say the mother, God bless her, is out working, the kid is home by himself, maybe smoking weed with his friends or doing other non-productive bad things. Uh, even Freddie Ramirez said at your hearing the other day, the biggest problem is kids who have nothing to do. So is that young man going to willfully, happily be part of this program, do you think? Yes, I do think so. I think young people are looking for a sense of purpose, like you say, for something to do and something that will give them a, a chance uh, at a future. So uh, for sure, we need to start with children when they're very young. And we do have programs like that as well. And the Peace and Prosperity Plan that has been adopted is really the tip of the iceberg. We are going to bring together all of those in the community, working with children from a young age, working with parents to help them uh, in how they are parenting uh, their children. We've had a lot of requests for, for parents. Who do they call? What do they do right. if they have a young person who uh, seems idle or might be at risk of, of getting involved in the wrong kind of behaviors. Yeah. And uh, we are encouraging people to reach out. 211 is our hotline at Switchboard. And uh, we, we know there are many, many programs this summer yeah. uh, throughout, throughout the county. And we do not want any child to be left out or left behind. All right, well, Madam Mayor, hold your position right there. We have more questions about peace and prosperity and about COVID-19 getting to 70% by July 4th. We'll be back with Mayor Levine Cava in just a minute. Continuing our conversation now with Miami-Dade Mayor Dan Daniela Levine Cava. Madam Mayor, uh, you pulled off kind of a political coup in my view this week by bringing all 13 commissioners together uh, on this peace and prosperity plan. There were a few who had really voiced misgivings. Commissioner Keone McGee had said early on that it was, you know, a little squishy. It was an anti-poverty plan and not an anti-crime fighting plan. But you brought him, Commissioner Pepe Diaz, maybe Joe Martinez, others who had said there wasn't enough money for the police department. How did you bring them around? 
Well, Michael, we have to do both. We have to stop the bleeding now. We must bring these shooters to justice and give the police all the resources they need to get the job done. And we have to stop that next shooter. We have to stop people from going down that path. And I think the fact that we were able to bring together an incredible show of force with this Operation Summer Heat is, is hugely important. And the results have been magnificent. Our law enforcement is doing everything they possibly can and doing it so well. And we've combined it with the code enforcement. We already closed down El Miula, the site of that grisly scene of murder and mayhem in Northwest Dade. So we now have teams going out police and law uh, code enforcement to shut down those places doing illegal functions without the proper permits that tend to be gathering places for crime. So we're doing everything. We've added the state attorney, the, the crime surveillance cameras, the analysts for the social media, the overtime, the across uh, the jurisdiction enforcement. We're doing all of that. And once we do that, everybody knows we have to get ahead of it and stop that next crime from occurring, and that happens with prevention and intervention. Yeah. Mayor Levine Kava, you are a lawyer by training. You've spent the bulk of your career running large social service agencies. Uh, we know where your heart is. We know, you know that you have dedicated your life, your adult life, to solving these societal problems. So let me just ask you for your informed opinion. These young men, they're mainly young men, who pick up an AR-15 or an AK-47, who go to a place like El Mula and open fire, you know, indiscriminately, what brings them to a point of nihilism, to such disregard for human life that they can simply shoot innocent people? What, what is in their minds that makes them do this? You know, Michael, I think that these are people who have disregard for other people's lives, clearly, and also for their own, because clearly they're putting themselves in tremendous uh, path uh, for, for death and destruction themselves. So we need to get to people early. We need to help them see that they do have a future, that they do have worth, that there are constructive, productive paths for them in society, and we can spare nothing in bringing people to justice once they've gone down that path. Right. All right, let's turn the focus in the minute and a half or so that we have left to COVID-19. So you were out this morning trying to reach out to people who are hesitant to be vaccinated. Uh, the president, of course, has said he wants, you've said basically the same thing, at least 70% of the community to have had a shot by July 4th. Are you going to get there? You know, we're really getting close, Michael. We're doing fabulously well in Miami-Dade County. And I want to give a shout out to all of those in our community who have taken the shot. And uh, let me say I'm very proud of Miami-Dade County government because our staff have stepped up. Our uh, fire rescue department, our law enforcement, we are everywhere. Pop-ups, malls, schools, uh, businesses, universities. You know, we are wherever we need to be to get shots in people's arms. Today was about those who are still a little on the fence, a little hesitant, and it helps them to see that members of their own community are endorsing the shot, trusted intermediaries, all of that does, does help. And the message of the uh, Break the Cycle bicycle group today with Indelible, a statewide organization, was 
do it for the people you love. If you're hesitant for yourself, know that you could be exposing people you love. So take the shot. Yeah. Well, a great message. And Mayor Levine Kava, always good to speak with you. And we will be closely following peace and prosperity. Hope it succeeds. Thank you. Thank you, Michael, so much. All right. Up next, we're going to introduce you to a leader of a community organization that is down in the trenches helping to serve families in tough neighborhoods. The work to help young people and families who live in crime-ridden neighborhoods has been underway here for many years by groups like Touching Miami with Love. Since 1995, Touching Miami with Love has been working with families in Overtown, and lately it added West Homestead to its service area. Trina Harris is the vice president of Touching Miami with Love. She's been with the group for about 11 years, running several of its children's programs. I met her recently outside Miami-Dade County Hall, where she and leaders of other community-based service groups say the mayor needs to bring them into their programs because they are in the community. Trina, good morning. Good to see you. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for having me on this morning. Well, Glad we are here. we are delighted you are because you actually have hands-on experience in the kind of programs the mayor is talking about. So, are you excited about peace and prosperity, or uh, what? What's your impression of her, her plan? Well, first, I'd like to thank the mayor. She's been doing a, a wonderful job in our community. She has launched several new initiatives, and she is listening to the community. I am excited about um, many of, actually all of the components of the Peace and Prosperity Plan. Uh, however, I um, can definitely see that there's still a lot more work to do. And the plan um, will definitely need some other additional uh, supports as far as funding um, and, if, and more um, community efforts behind it. Um, she's doing an amazing job in listening to the community. But there are several uh, kind of street level um, interventions that are needed as well. Right. Uh, are you hopeful or have you approached the mayor about, I mean, your community, your foundation, your group is funded by the Children's Trust. You get foundation grant money to help you do your work. But of course, the county has set aside, what, almost $9 million to implement the Peace and Prosperity Plan. Uh, do you want to be a subcontractor? Of course, but I'll say the work that we've been doing at Touching Mind Love in, in the communities of Overtown and Homestead, we're serving children and youth, and we have intervention and prevention plans that we've been doing for years to change the mindset and cultural sets of, of children. However, we're talking about the need for non-traditional programming. We're talking about programming that is different from what we've been doing currently. Yeah, tell me, tell me. Yeah, I'm sorry for interrupting, but explain when you say non-traditional, uh, what are you proposing and what have you been doing that ordinarily these other things, uh, other groups do not? So currently we are um, writing for proposals to the CDC as this is a public health crisis. And yes, the uh, mayor's planned um, includes a lot of support for police officers and different equipment and technology, which is needed. However, we want to be able to empower and alter behaviors before it gets to the point of arresting young people, which creates another generational uh, issue. 
we need violence inter uh, interrupters in our communities. We need folks that are on street level that can interrupt some of the issues that are happening with our young adults in our communities. Yes, jobs and creating opportunities for youth um, is great and programs that are doing that, um, kudos. But however, you asked a good question to the mayor earlier, are kids that have access to AK-47s that are making money illegally or have means to money already, are they going to go to a normal job? Yep. And that isn't the that isn't the case for many of our young people who have access to money. Well, I that is sort of my impression as well. If a kid's got a AK-47 and maybe sells a little weed and is making some money and hangs with a group, uh, maybe that young man is going to say, hey, I don't need to go off and have a job. Uh, let somebody else do that. Is that been your experience for, I mean, you've been working in Overtown for almost a dozen years. That is my experience, and it's unfortunate. And we've had some of those students be a part of our programs temporarily but it's temporarily and it needs a new approach. Our current structure of our program is not going to solve these issues and several other um, organizations that have the traditional pro programming as we do currently. We have to think outside of the box. Even our organization is thinking outside of the box to do something very different, to partner with other organizations that we are um, interested in forming a co coalition with that are thinking outside of the box. Right. Well, I, I love your phrase, we need violence interrupters. We certainly do. Uh, you've been doing this in the community. How do you approach a angry young man uh, who really doesn't have much of a home life? And how do you sort of take that young man and say, go to school, make something of yourself. You don't have to do it on the street corner. Michael, it's about relationships. And it's about, for us, having the funding and the opportunity to bring on community members that right now in our, in our current structure, we can't hire ex-offenders because of the DCF system. So we would need to create a separate source of uh, programming to be able to bring on individuals that have experience a certain life-changing um, experience that can reach some of these young folks in a different way and develop relationships that can they can have the conversation to do something different. Yeah. But currently, we can't do that in our current structure. So we have we can't be naive to that. And I know at several organizations, such as myself, having the same conversations in our current structures, we are not able to do that. Yeah. It has to be a shift. So that is a big issue is, you know, former offenders uh, who and you are prevented, you say, from putting them in some programs because of restrictions on the funds you get from government? Because of their background checks. Oh. Because they can't find, they can't pass a level two background oh, check. Oh, I got you. Yeah, I see. They can't, they can't pass the background check because they have a criminal record and, uh, yeah. I get it. Um, you know, Trina, I just have to say, we, we know, and you know better than most people, that uh, these young people, mainly guys, boys, uh, 
are getting their guns that are stolen or are sold on the street corner. These guns are not coming from people who walk into a gun store and buy the guns. How, how do you approach the question of keeping guns out of the hands of people who are willing to walk out and fire them indiscriminately into a crowd? Michael, that question is a bit bigger than me. That This is a national problem. And this is something that our, our government has to deal with um, because we on the ground level can't deal with the guns that are, the number of guns that are on our streets. Yeah. And, and, and just to be very transparent, it's not only young men that are, that are involved in these types of crimes. Right. You have to understand that there are young women that are um, perpetrators in these offenses as well. And it's important that we not leave them out. So we have to have the real conversation on what's happening in our communities and who's sourcing the individuals with the guns and who's renting the rental cars or, the, or getting access to cars where people are doing illegal crimes in. So right. it's, it's important to have those honest conversation if we're really wanting to do community change. And right. that's the importance of having folks that are on the ground level doing the work at the table all the time. Trina Harris, we uh, appreciate you touching Miami with love and for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, up next, a closer look at critical race theory with the president of the United Teachers of Dade. In recent weeks, you have probably heard the term critical race theory. You probably also heard Governor Ron DeSantis denounce it as cultural Marxism. We're frankly not sure what he means by that, but he certainly pushed the State Board of Education this week to ban critical race theory from Florida classrooms. And some of the people who teach in those classrooms are not happy about it. Carla Hernandez-Matz is president of the United Teachers of Dade. She took issue with the governor's actions this week, saying he was politicizing this issue, you know, for political purposes. Carla Hernandez-Matz joins us now. Carla, great to see you. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Uh, well, Carla, what is your issue with the State Board of Education and the governor passing the ban on critical race theory? What, what's the issue there for you? So I think there's a couple of things that our audience and our community needs to really know. First of all, critical race theory is not something that is part of any of our curriculum in the state of Florida. So we have uh, an issue that he's bringing up that doesn't exist. While there are issues in our community, you were just talking about you know, gun violence in the last segment. Why aren't we addressing real issues in our community? So here we are politicizing something that doesn't exist. Um, and it's, it's what, what is baffling to us is that our educators, really what we believe in is in the value of having a strong and robust education where every child, whether black, white, brown, indigenous, yeah. understands and has uh, the understanding of, of an authentic education and how we learn from our past so that we can be a better and stronger community. So, you know, all this talk, we understand that it is election season for him and he's up for re-election and he's got to talk to his base, but it's just 
really disheartening to see that this is how he's doing it, that he's trying to uh, attack public education, attack something that doesn't exist, and that he is, uh, you know, trying to make something out of a situation where they're actually taking the word slavery out of civics education. Yeah. It's, it's actually contrary to what he's saying that he's doing. Well, in fact, the governor, in a statement on Friday when he spoke to the board Thursday, spoke to the State Board of Education, he said, hey, we already mandate that civil rights history be taught in the schools, that the Holocaust be taught. What he said we don't want taught is for kids to feel that they are being taught about incidents, you know, that make them hate their country. Uh, what's your response to that? I think it's ludicrous. Um, you know, our community, especially here in Miami, that's so diverse, really understands um, what it is to be proud of their country. Um, you know, my parents were immigrants and, um, you know, you and Glenna know so many uh, immigrants that have come to this community and have made this community stronger. I think it's important that we talk about issues like in the 1960s when this was an English only community and how that impacted our Cuban neighbors when they were coming in. Um, in the 1990s yeah. when Nelson Mandela was banned or not welcome from coming to, yeah. to, to Miami, that's important. Rosewood happened just north of uh, here, north, northern Florida. Uh, it was a massacre. We, we were just talking about the Tulsa massacre that happened 100 years ago, and yet a lot of our community does not know that something very similar to that happened here in the state of Florida. And it's about learning and growing and not making the same mistakes. And I think both of you uh, would appreciate that and understand how important that is, that we have to educate our children and that we need honesty and that we want a robust education. And what we're seeing is actually the opposite. When you water down the standards in this way, when you yeah. don't take these things into consideration, when um, you allow politicians to win on a narrative that doesn't exist, that's false, um, it's really something that's going to impact our education. Yeah, you know, I should have done this earlier, but let me just simply for the record say, uh, critical race theory, which was proposed about 1989 by a group of left-wing intellectuals generally says that systemic racism permeates American society institutions at every level and it says it should be taught to kids. Now on, on Thursday at the State Board of Education, a number of teachers uh, got up and spoke and said, let us teach, let us tell students the truth. There was one Miami-Dade teacher who got up and supported the ban. Uh, her name is uh, Maria Pedro. Let's hear, listen to what she said. Unless you pass this rule, the leftist radical school board members who are just, who just want to teach critical race theory to our children, who want to indoctrinate them, they will find a way, they will find a backdoor to be able to teach this. All right, uh, Carla, let me ask you what she is saying essentially is that there are members of the Miami-Dade School Board that are going to try to do an end run around this new ban. Uh, you know the school board very well, deal with them all the time. What is your opinion? What do you think? So two things. First of all, the majority of our um, school board is Republican. Um, and, you know, obviously, even though it's nonpartisan uh, board, you know, we know that there are things that are important issues for them. Um, but there but 
but they also represent our community and they want to do right by its community. Um, just the other day, um, they celebrated uh, Peter Pan, the 60th anniversary of Peter Pan, which is when undocumented children were coming into this country. Um, and we were embracing them and we were talking about the struggles and how um, beneficial they've been for this community. But I'll tell you this, I, I'm not sure who the teacher was. I couldn't find her in our system. She also said something that was unfactual. She was saying that uh, we're teaching, we have professional development for our teachers about something that doesn't exist. So, you know, it's misinformation again, which is also something that unfortunately is happening a lot in our communities. Uh, and we're seeing misinformation spread uh, without fact checking them. Yeah. Uh, uh, Carla, tell me, as far as you know, and you deal with teachers every day, represent thousands of them, what is the practical impact of this ban in classrooms in South Florida? Uh, I mean, are teachers calling the UTD and saying, hey, what am I, how am I supposed to teach uh, the American uh, Civil War now? Do I have to change the way I talk about Emmett Till or Wounded Knee or any of the events in our history, which frankly uh, uh, are difficult and sometimes shameful? Well, I think that our teachers are going to continue to be uh, the great educators that they are. Um, you know, this is a school district that has so many accolades for being one of the top in the nation. And we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to be honest. Um, we're going to continue to talk about our histories and make sure that we have a strong curriculum. Um, but I do believe that our educators um, are disheartened uh, hearing this. I mean, here we are. We just survived the pandemic. We're trying to reopen everything. We're going into summer school. We're trying to make sure our kids um, are ready uh, for the real world. And so what we need is honestly uh, robust resources, which is not what is being talked about right now. We're, we're so glad that the Biden administration sent federal dollars so that we can have our summer school program, so that we can have the robust resources that we need in our schools. But that's not what's being addressed. And again, this is a distraction. It's a distraction because it doesn't exist in our curriculum. But we understand that it is campaign season, and this is part of the things that the governor is doing. Uh, and it's unfortunate because he is politicizing our public education system, and he's trying to water down curriculum when our children need robust curriculum so that they can be great thinkers in the future. Yeah, we we understand. Carla Hernandez, Matt's always good to speak with you. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. And up next, we're going to speak with State Senator Annette Tadeo. Stay with us. Governor DeSantis has been taking a victory lap lately touring the state, signing bills into law that were passed by the legislature and one controversial bill he signed into law on Friday is going to reform property insurance rates in Florida, which affects every homeowner directly, renters indirectly. Bottom line, property owners in Florida insured by citizens are probably going to pay higher rates. We want to find out more about this bill. What it does from State Senator Annette Tadeo, an old friend of this program. She is a Democrat from Southwest Miami Dade, joins us live from our home. Senator, good afternoon. Great to see you. Good afternoon, Michael. Great to be with you. All right. So I saw a, a quote from you after this bill was signed or during the discussion. You said there is no sugarcoating this. It literally is going to raise the rates on property insurance. How so? What's going on? 100%. And what I said on the floor of the Florida Senate is, please read the bill. It's in the bill. 
in black and white and it says if you have uh, you know um, citizens insurance you will get an increase and already uh, they can raise your citizens insurance up to 10 percent per year but this bill allows it to go up to 11 percent and next year to 12 and the following year to 13 onto infinity there's no there's no end in sight so when you get your insurance bill and you see that it went up you can thank a governor DeSantis and the Republicans who pushed this bill and actually raised your rates in the bill yeah well the the prime sponsor of the bill Senator uh, Jen Boyd said uh, when the bill was uh, signed on Friday that it's going to crack down on quote unscrupulous actors in the insurance business. And I take it he is talking about, among other things, public adjusters who come in and may raise the, you know, demand that the insurance companies pay a much higher uh, amount of the repairs on roof repairs pr principally. Uh, is, is that, you know, is that what the problem is? You know, Michael, if we really wanted to get rid of unscrupulous, uh, you know, whether it's adjusters or people uh, that try to replace your roof when you don't really need it replacing, then we should pass a law to go after those people. But instead, this law pretends to take care of this problem when in essence what it does is just allow insurance companies to raise your rates. And it's even worse. Insurance companies are now going to have uh, more of the driving of the bus uh, when you actually want to file a claim and they won't pay you, and they won't pay you. We had one man, for example, who came in front of our committee and said he has State Farm and they have not been willing to pay for his insurance. And this is in the panhandle. This is a conservative. This has nothing to do with conservative or liberal. This has to do with the fact that now you can't, you have less time to hire uh, a lawyer. And think about it. Most homeowners don't hire a lawyer to right. after they've tried everything and failed to get them to pay. And it was worse, this bill, to begin with. They weren't going to pay for your roof at replacement value if it was over 10 years old. I, thank goodness, along with others on the committee on banking and insurance, we were successful in taking that out. But still, this is a terrible bill for homeowners. And when you get your higher insurance bill, you can thank Rhonda Santos Ford. Yeah, and the bill goes into effect July 1st, just as we really get into hurricane season. Uh, Senator, let me also, I need to get you to sort of weigh in here on critical race theory. You can't see it, but I'm holding up a printout of a uh, email I got this morning. I'm on Governor DeSantis's blast email list. Here's what he says in this email. Uh, we delivered on a promise uh, by banning critical race theory from schools. Quote, this curriculum of hate and divisiveness has no place in society, let alone schools. Critical race theory indoctrinates our children, teaches them to judge others as oppressors, inherent racist and victims. And then he says, I will not allow this cultural Marxism to gain a foothold in Florida schools. Boy, that's pretty heated rhetoric here about critical race theory. How do you see it? You know, I actually am uh, really disappointed in, in this rhetoric because it truly is singing the MAGA tunes for his, not his re-election campaign, but his election campaign for president. This is all this is. I mean, first, 
he went out and banned, uh, uh, you know, sanctuary cities. We didn't have any sanctuary cities right. in Florida. He went out and banned all kinds of things. We keep passing laws for things that we don't even have in Florida, including this supposed critical race theory. We don't even have it. But yet he's doing this for his election for president, not even his reelection. And it's really sad because actually when we learn from our past is we, we, when we don't repeat our past mistakes. And uh, we should be teaching our kids everything, including our dark past. But that is not any way anything that's happening in our classrooms, but they're making up things just for the fact of that he wants to be with his base and he wants to be on Fox News and be the number one inheritor of the Trump legacy. Yeah, uh, I have to confess, although I had heard and knew very little about the Tulsa race massacre until the Centennial Observance last week, uh, that had never been taught to me in school. I attended some very good schools. Um, I mean, I would think that that should be sort of a centerpiece of any kind of American history, you know, when you're talking about racial conflict in this country. Uh, and I would certainly hope that the new ban does not prevent teachers from talking and teaching the Tulsa race massacre. Listen, there is a lot of history that we have that we need to talk about in order for us to learn and not repeat it again. Um, and, you know, although we may be ashamed of the, the fact that in our past we did some horrible things, we need to learn from them. And as a Jew, I can tell you, I'm thankful that it, he said and they said, oh, but we're going to make sure to include, you know, the Holocaust. Well, of course, we need to include all of our horrible history in order for us to learn from it. And our kids will be much better educated and much better open-minded about what they uh, need to do with their lives and how to behave ourselves if we learn from our past. And our past includes some pretty horrible experiences um, that we should not be proud of, but we should learn from them. I hear you. Um, Senator, on a happier note this week, I spent a little time with your old friend, Charlie Chris, those people at home you know, probably remember Senator Tadeo was the lieutenant governor candidate when Charlie Crist was running for governor against Rick Scott. So you and, and Charlie Crist have obviously have a good close relationship. He is running for governor again. Do you support him? Um, actually, I am considering running myself, Michael. Well, I know. Uh, so, <laughs> so until I make that decision, uh, clearly, uh, you know, we, we are at a crossroads in our state. Uh, we need to have uh, someone in the governor's mansion who will actually work uh, to bring some balance to the state and to care about all Floridians, not just one little base or maybe a big base in Florida. But the point is we need someone who's going to actually bring everybody together and care for everyone for the future of our kids, because clearly this governor is much more concerned about his future presidency and then being governor of the state of Florida and dealing with our real issues that we're dealing with. Yeah. Well, whatever you decide, give us a heads up. We certainly want to know about your future. Senator Annette Tadeo, great to see you here on this Sunday afternoon. Have a great day. My pleasure. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back.
We appreciate you spending part of your Sunday with us. Remember, Local 10 is with you throughout the day and night 24-7 on Local10.com. And as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.